The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Friday, November 4th. Hey, it's Jobs Report Friday. I know it's so exciting for you all. Here's what we think is going to happen. We think that there will be around 200,000 jobs created. We think that the unemployment rate's going to be, you know, kind of where it's been, three and a half, three point six 3.6% or so. That's pretty close to a 50-year low. And we think that the labor force is not changing that much in terms of size. Uh, the one area that I'm focused on for this report, I, I usually like the job creation number, but I'm a little more focused on the wage component because, you know, we just had a Federal Reserve meeting this week and the Fed is not easing up anytime soon on rate increases, partially because the labor market is so strong. And one area that they're focused on, therefore I'm focused on, is wages. Wages have been growing by more than 5% for almost a year. This is the month, the month of October, maybe the first time we drop down to maybe like 4.7, 4.8% annual wage growth. And that may be a sign to the Federal Reserve that the labor market is easing just ever so slightly. So if any of these numbers turn out dramatically different, not a little bit different, dramatically different then we'll update you for tomorrow's show. And we didn't really talk so much about the Federal Reserve because it kind of they did kind of what we expected. I know a lot of people complained that the Fed started too late, but they've been pretty aggressive. Remember at the beginning of this year, the benchmark lending rate was zero, zero my hero. And it's now uh, 3.75 to 4%. The thing that was quite interesting about the Fed's statement was that Pretty much there was a blunt acknowledgement that there is a lag between the action of the Fed's rate increases and how quickly those higher rates actually filter through the economy and slow things down. And so that that addition to the official statement suggests that I think the central bank could pull back on the size of future rate hikes. So there's one more meeting this year in December. Maybe they do a half a percentage point then and maybe even smaller increments. 
But, you know, Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, said something kind of interesting. He's sort of like, hey, all of you idiots who are breathlessly talking about how large these increases are, he says we're focusing on the wrong thing. He said where rates end, that's called the terminal rate, that's actually more important than the pace at which we get there. At the September meeting, the Fed said they're probably going to stop when rates get to 4.6%. And in his press conference, Powell said, "Mm, maybe it's going to be more than that. So now everyone's sort of penciling in 5%. That would mean another 100 basis points, another full percentage point of increases. So if we got 50 in December, and then we start the new year with maybe a quarter, there could be another quarter. And, you know, maybe rates have to stay that high for a little bit longer than we expect. Meanwhile, we are seeing interest rates rise across the entire yield curve. We've had bond experts on. The yield curve just basically means the cost of borrowing in the short term to the long term. The Fed only controls the short term. They're doing Fed funds rate. That's the rate at which they lend banks money, overnight rate. And then the banks lend money to you and me, consumers and businesses. The longer term rates are just based on supply and demand. Well, it just so happens that all interest rates are rising. All interest rates are rising, including those interest rates that are keyed in for the mortgage market. And this got us thinking over at work at CBS Mornings that we ought to be doing a housing segment because things are actually changing pretty quickly in the housing market. And what's fascinating about that is it it's kind of like uh, what the Fed wants to happen in the overall economy. They want the activity to slow down. They want prices to go down. Uh, but, you know, if things go too quickly, then you know what happens. We get a little scared. There's like that recession talk. So what's really going on in the housing market is we are in transition and things are slowing down. So without further ado, Here is my segment from yesterday about the housing market. In today's Money Watch, we're talking about the slowdown in the housing market. Yesterday, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by another three quarters of a percentage point as it continues to fight inflation. This comes as mortgage rates hit a 20-year high at just over 7%. And the National Association of Realtors says existing home sales continue to decline. So what does that mean for you? CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger joins us now to talk about it. Jill, good morning. Good morning. So the rate started out at 3.2% at the start of the year. They're over 7%, incredibly expensive. How's that impacting the real estate market? Well, it is really spooking a lot of would-be buyers. But let's just kind of review these numbers for a second. Those numbers sound big, but let's make some context. If you were looking at, say, a $400,000 house at the beginning of this year, you had 20% down, you did all your saving, you put that money down, you got yourself a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The payment for your principal and interest was about, let's say, almost $1,400. Now, just months later, not even a year later, that same payment is over $2,100 a month. That's an extra nine grand over the course of a year. And it means that a lot of people who are looking in the housing market have to lower their expectations. And that is where we're seeing a real deceleration in activity. Do you have an easy explanation on why it's so high? 
Well, I mean, look, mortgage rates are high because all interest rates are actually rising. And so that's part of what we've been seeing all year since the Fed started raising interest rates. But the interesting thing also is that actually home prices, they are decelerating, but they're also slowing down some. But they do remain high. Why? Because we don't have a ton of inventory. Right. And I think that's yes. the real issue. Like you have people who are first time home buyers who say, I don't want to buy. But there's not so much to buy. So prices are still pretty high. And, and I think that that's a tough pull, yes, push pull. Yesterday, Jill, on this show, it was described in, in Nancy's piece as a tug of war between buyers and sellers. Do you see it that way? And who's going to win? Well, I think buyers and sellers are both impacted. Let's let's look at it from the buyer perspective. We're talking about how affordability has really changed. So I'm a buyer. I can't afford as much. So that means I'm stuck in the rental market. We'll get to that in a second. But that's tough. Sellers, meanwhile, you know, you have a lot of people who would think about maybe moving up. But let's say you've got that beautiful house and a 3% mortgage rate. Yeah. Now I don't want to move. Up, yeah. And so now I'm, I don't have as much inventory. So, okay, now there's lower inventory. It means the market frenzy's dying down. The average price for a median home is dropping. It's not down yet, but it is dropping. And we're that frenzy of bidding over the price of the house, the number of days on the market, it was down in the teens for a number of days. Now it's at 50 days. Mm -hmm. All of these things really tell us that the home market is shifting. And there is a push-pull between buyers and sellers. It's market by market, but I still think that sellers have an advantage. You know what the thing if you're selling? Don't get stuck in that moment of, oh, I could have gotten this much money yes. a, a year ago. Yeah. Deal with today, and if it still makes sense, sell your house. You mentioned renters. Uh, was there something you were going to add there? Yes. Okay. So rents we know have been rising, and I've been focusing on those younger folks, you know, the 25 to 35-year-olds. And what we've seen is that affordability of rent has really hit that group so much because their, their uh, annual incomes are not rising enough to catch up with rents. Wow. So the share of their income to rent is rising. Now, here's the weird thing when we look at these markets is that just the fact that rents are so high are probably a sign that that will mean that rents will come down because landlords will not have the leverage. If people are saying, you know what, I'm moving back in with mom and dad or I'm going to sleep on Vlad's couch for a while, <laughs> that's going to help rents come under control. But Vlad has a nice couch. All right. So um, I ended that segment talking about the costs that we actually have for remodeling projects because a lot of people are staying put. What we did is we found the um, National Association of Realtors did a cost recovery for remodeling projects analysis, like how much you spend on each project and what you get back in the resale. I found it so interesting. These are interior projects, so I'm not talking about garage doors, which weirdly have an enormous bang for your buck. But what are the interior projects that pay off? You ready? Mark? What's the number one refinishing project you think that pays off? I mean, only two things come to mind, the kitchen and the bathroom. Eh, that's your, that's your, you're wrong. You don't recoup on those. Let's check this out. Hardwood floor refinishing. Okay. Uh, that was, that was my next guess. Okay. 147% of your recouping. In other words, it pays even more than whatever you put into it. Oh, I'm glad we get it. Right? New wood flooring, you get 118%. Now, it just so happens, by the way, they also did a kind of a cool, there was there was another survey that we found, which was about, you know, which projects, the National Association of Realtors found like which projects bring you joy. 
And it just so happens that painting and refinishing floors is a big one, but so is closet renovation. And closet renovations, you only get 83% of your money back. And I found that interesting. Why? Because, you know, I think this has to do with everyone's has a particular taste. So your closet renovation may be awesome for you, but the next person who comes in might be like, why are those shelves in that, in that way? And that doesn't work for me. Right? So that's one that I thought paid off and didn't. However, bathrooms, you only recoup 71% of your investment. I thought it would be way higher. And kitchen, and this is a kitchen upgrade. So again, if you put a brand new bathroom in and no bathroom existed, the value of your house is going up. This is just an, a bathroom exists and you renovate the bathroom. That's 71%. The kitchen exists. You upgrade your kitchen. You only get two thirds of your money back. And I think that has everything to do with you have a particular taste. So I walk into your apartment, Mark. I'm like, great, kitchen's done for me. I'm all set. But the next person's like, why do they have it laid out like that? Or why are their cabinets this way? Or I don't like this or I don't like that. That's why. And that's a very expensive project. So before you start blowing all your money on this, be careful. Anyway, um, don't give up that nice low mortgage. Do your floors instead. Make your life a little bit better. What project do you want to do in your apartment that you haven't done, Mark? Since since we've bought this place, we've met a lot of other uh, residents here in the co-op with the same floor plan. And we've learned that people have put in a second bathroom. We didn't even know that was possible. Where? I, yeah, I know. That's that's the question. So if we could go back in time, that's probably, oh, not probably. Amanda would definitely have done that. She's itching for a second bathroom. You know what? If I had to share a bathroom with you, I'd want a second bathroom also. Well, you know what sucks about our bathroom is it's right next to Theo's room. So when he's and, and he sleeps with the door open now. So, you know, if it's late at night, and you want to go get ready for bed, or brush your teeth, whatever. You, get, you know, you're walking on eggshells. You can't make any noise because it's right next to his bedroom. Oh, my God. Well, um, I'm sorry for you and I'm sorry for him. And I think a second better a second bathroom is uh, the savior for most couples. And so when we read it, you know, what we did for our apartment is we had a washer dryer in the apartment. So what we petitioned the co-op board was, could we move our washer dryer? Could we move it around the corner and then put the ba- a small half bath where the washer dryer was? It used to not be able to do it because in, in a lot of apartments, they don't want wet over dry. Meaning if it's not the plumbing line, they don't want something there. But, you know, all of the technology of washer dryers is such that, you know, you can have low pressure. So anyway, somehow or other, we convinced them that that was worth doing and they let us do it. So I would say if you could go to the co-op board and say, we're going to move the washer dryer someplace else. Can we do that? Let's put a half bath in where the washer dryer is. That's, that's the way to go. All right. That's it. That's it for the day. So uh, listen, if the jobs report comes in a little bit funky, I'll tell you about it tomorrow morning. Otherwise, you know that all of our content lives on our website. It's jillonmoney.com. Click the contact us button. Do let us know if you'd be willing to come on the air. While you're on the website, please pre-order The Great Money Reset. You will learn 10 bold steps to turn chaos into opportunity. And there's a lot of chaos out there right now. So with a a slowdown or potentially a recession coming, this could be the book for you. Make the change now while you still can. Okay, good. It's Friday, time for our business. The music here is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is our executive producer. We are distributed by Cadence 13. Do something nice for someone else today. Grit, growth, grace. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.